Well, once again, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for being here this morning. And um, truly hope today is a blessing to you. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in life, this is what we're talking about today, the faithfulness of our God. And uh, we've been talking about it for a number of weeks. We've been uh, in a a sermon series on the parables of Jesus. I hope you've been enjoying this series. I think it's been fantastic to gain this insight. Jesus was a master storyteller, and there is great, great power in a story. You know, but a parable is not just a story. It's not just a set of characters with a plot line. A parable is a story that reveals to us truth, God's truth. And when Jesus tells these parables, he is interrupting our understanding of life and he is injecting into that the power of God's truth through story. You see... Jesus often told parables, um, he told them at very strategic times. They seemed to just come off the cuff, but they were often used to maybe settle a little bit of a dispute or to change someone's thinking or to direct a conversation away from a way that we maybe would understand things, more to a way in which God understands things and God longs to reveal things to us. And the parables that Jesus told drew people into something familiar. It was a story. We can relate to these stories. It draws us into something familiar. They have this ability to convict us and inspire us. And Jesus used these parables to convert thoughts into heart realities. Take something theoretical and make it very practical. Practical. You see, a parable comes alongside a truth. And this story, this parable, reinforces this truth. It highlights it. It illustrates it for us. And that's the power behind these parables. It's God's transformative truth that comes to us in the packaging of a story. And story is powerful in our lives because we live out our life every day in story. Everything we do is story. You know, my boys come home from school and, and every day I'll ask them, hey, how was your day today? How were things at school? And what follows usually after is, uh, I don't know. Right? Um, when I pry out the stories of what happened in their day, that's exactly what it is. It's stories of what they interacted with, with their teachers, with their friends, with their world, and what they absorbed from their world. The truth they absorb from the world, the lies they absorb from the world, all these things. But they come to me, they come to all of us in the form of story. And here's the part we can't miss, especially as believers, right? It's true for everybody, but when you become a believer, you realize something. You realize that God is a part of each and every story. God's truth is in there. God's truth is in our stories, as mundane as they may be. God is a part of every story. And if we have the eyes to see, if we have the ears to hear, his truth is reflected in everyday moments. As I said, from the momentous to the mundane, from the dramatic to the dreary, from the everyday to the everlasting, God's truth, God's love, God's redemptive power, all of this occur in the moments and the stories of our lives.
I want to tell you one story from my own life this morning. I was about 19 or 20 years old, and me and a bunch of my friends were heading to the big city of Toronto for the day. Now, I grew up in a small town, so the big city of Toronto, this was a big trip. And uh, we were heading in, we were all excited to take on the big city, um, and we were, uh, truth be told, very overwhelmed. Going to Toronto was really overwhelming. But we were up for the adventure. We actually had heard about this restaurant. It was called Licks. I don't know if you've heard of it. Licks Restaurant. It was a, I remember it was a kind of 50s style diner that, you know, you could get your own flavored kind of soda there and stuff. And we were from a small town. This was a big deal. So we were excited to get into Toronto and get a cherry Coke, right? Um, times have changed, right? Now you, can go, now you can go to McDonald's, right? And there's like 360 flavors in that one machine, right? You know, no need for Licks anymore. I wonder if it still exists. But anyway... My friends and I, you know, we, we parked in at Yorkdale and we took the subway in because we were not ready to drive in the big city. So we got in the subway and we knew it would be a little bit of a walk, right? This was before the days of smartphones, right? I'm old, right? We didn't have GPS, right, on our phones. We didn't know, but we knew roughly where it was. So we set out after the subway. We were like, yeah, licks. Everybody was so excited. This was going to be the highlight of our day. And the big city, it turns out, is a lot bigger than we thought. And I can remember just walking block after block saying, I thought it was just right here. It's supposed to be just right here. We kept walking. Of course, a couple wrong turns. Being turned around in the big city doesn't help. I remember after a while, one of my friends just said, look, why don't we just stop at the next place? There's a place to eat every two steps. Why, you know, why are we going to this licks place? Why, why do we want to go there? The next place is going to be good enough. Let's just call it. But we said, no, we've heard this place is awesome. We've made the trip. Let's do it. Let's keep going. We persevered. Well... The hot sun got to us in the middle of summer, and um, I can remember at one point my friend's little brother, who we had brought along for the day, just stopped, just stopped, just would not walk any further. And we turned, we said, Vince, what's going on? We've got to keep going. And it was, seriously, he just looked at us and says, there is no licks, is there? <laughs> anticipation was great. Our excitement was great, but we weren't getting where we wanted to go. And our, our anticipation, our excitement turned to despair, discouragement, and doubt. Did licks really even exist? What are we doing? Where are we going? And you know, We've been there in life before, haven't we? Maybe not on your way to a restaurant, but you felt this even in your faith, in your, in your life, in your walk. Where am I going? Is where I'm going really where I want to be? It, does it really exist? Our anticipation can at times turn to despair and discouragement and sometimes even doubt. Sometimes we've waited on God for something. We know that's what God has for us. It's a promise of his, and we've been praying for it. We've been moving forward in faith. But our faith is starting to wane. We're starting to maybe be a bit discouraged and be a bit disappointed. And maybe we're even starting to doubt whether God's going to come through in the end. Well, today we're going to look at another parable, right? Surprise, surprise. A parable today is found in the book of Luke, chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones with your Bible on it uh, and you want to follow along there, it is also on the screen. But we're going to be in Luke, chapter 19. Um, and, and this parable comes at a very eventful time in history. It's a time full of anticipation and excitement, full of high hopes and high expectations, um, And at this crucial time of anticipation and excitement, Jesus once again tells a story to make a point, 
to reveal God's truth about the kingdom and what it means to live by faith. Okay, so let's read from Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to do this in a couple different chunks. We're going to start at verse 11 and read through 14 to start. Okay, so here we are. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We do not want him to be our king. Okay? Let's put this in a little bit of context. We see that there's this crowd... Listening to everything Jesus said. Jesus has been performing miracles. He has been speaking the truth of the kingdom. He's been healing people. All this and the crowds, the anticipation, the excitement has been brewing. And Jesus is heading into Jerusalem, right? We see that says because he was heading into nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story because something needed to be corrected. There was an assumption out there. There was an anticipation that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Now... Um, We know that Jesus was heading into Jerusalem for the Passover, right? Um, And he was preparing for that last meal with his disciples. But we think of it as the last meal. They thought of it just as celebrating the Passover. And the Passover is the yearly celebration of the Jewish people to remember when they were freed from Egyptian slavery and God's Spirit passed over in judgment and did not judge but released the Israelites judge, brought judgment on the Egyptians and they were released to go into the promised land it's a, it's a meal to remember the faithfulness and the liberation of God, the establishment of his people, a kingdom on earth, right? And there's the same type of anticipation and people are thinking what better time of year everything, Jesus is he's on his A game, he's ready to go it's going to be Passover, what better time to announce the coming of the kingdom than the liberation that we've been celebrating for hundreds of years out of, out of Egypt people were anticipating the kingdom is here, Jesus is going to usher it in, and of course we know this to be true but not in a way people anticipated or expected okay a nobleman calls, this is, so this is the story, right? Jesus tells this parable. A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. He calls ten servants, divides ten pounds of silver up amongst them, one pound each. Um, and he asks them or tells them to go invest this for my benefit, for my kingdom while I'm gone, getting my kingship secured. Um, and I will come back. Okay, now he's pretty confident that he's going to come back, right? The king himself, I'm going to come back. Don't worry about that. But, verse 14, his people hated him. Now, this is people living in the land. This isn't necessarily his servants that he's just given the money to. But his people hated him. And they sent a delegation, in fact, off to say, we do not want you to be our king. Okay? Looking back, we can see how Jesus fits into this, right? His people hate him and don't want him to be king. He's going to be crucified, right? Um... He's going to have to go, and the kingdom isn't going to come immediately. He's going to have to be established. He's going to die, but his promise is, I will return. Okay? Um, For us, we can kind of look back on the Jesus story and see it pretty clearly. But for those listening on that day, that parable, 
it would have been every political story. You see, the Roman Empire was in town. The Roman Empire was vast. It um, covered pretty much most of the known world at the time. And the epicenter, the political epicenter of power was Rome. Okay? But Jerusalem's way over here, right, in Judea. And they need a ruler for this area. And this is how it would happen. People would have to go if they wanted to get authority from Rome to be the ruler of that area. They would travel to Rome. They would be deemed as worthy to be a Roman representative, a Roman rulership in that colony, in that place. And so they would have to come back. Herod the Great did this uh, around 40 BC. Um, lots of rulers had to do this, of course. This was the way that it worked. So you traveled off to Rome hoping that you would be crowned king, um, and then you would return and say, hey, yes, it's true, Rome crowned me king, of course, and that's how news would travel, okay? So immediately we see, actually, that in the parable, we're creating a little bit of tension here for the servants, right? These servants are given some uh, sums of money, and they're asked then to invest this, saying, establish this in my name. Establish my kingdom while I'm gone. I know I'm not king yet, but I'm going to be. I'm going off to a distant land, but I'll return, and I will be king. So while I'm gone, please invest this. But notice the tension. There is a great divide. There are a number of people who hate him and do not want him to be king in the land. So these servants, really, this is a question of faithfulness and loyalty. Will these servants be loyal and faithful and true to their king while he is gone to help establish his kingdom and wait for his return? Because the truth is, some people who went to Rome to become king didn't come back king. Some didn't come back at all. There's uncertainty in this parable. Will the servants have the strength and the faith to serve and trust their master even in his absence, even in the face of deep uncertainty and great hardship and possibly persecution? Will they, over an unknown period of time, hold to the hope and belief that their master's return will come? The plot thickens. Okay, so let's carry on. You with me? Okay, good. Let's carry on to the next section, starting at verse 15. Okay. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money. I made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. Okay, let's pause here with the good news, okay? The good servants, okay? So into this tension, we get an answer pretty quick. The next verse, after he returned crowned king, right? There was never doubt about it. He did return as king. But remember, a lot of time would have passed. This was a distant empire, right? They didn't have uh, airplanes or trains or anything. This would have been a long journey and a long journey back. This would have been over a vast period of time. Um, and, and he returns and he calls these servants to himself to say, Hey, let me see what you've been doing, what's been going on while I've been gone. This is great. Let's keep going with my kingdom. Okay, so notice how the nobleman, though, is clear to point out the servant's faithfulness. Okay, in both instances, with the one who made ten times the amount and the one who made five times the amount, the nobleman says, well done, you have proven yourself to be 
faithful. Now, this is key, okay? Um, Because we live in a very consumeristic culture, and we look at this, we see the money, we see the profits, we see the bottom line, and we're like, wow, that guy was really successful. He took one bag of silver and turned it into ten. This guy took one bag of silver and he turned it into five. These guys are good CEOs. They're good businessmen. They're very successful in the world. But that's not what they're praised for. They're praised for their faithfulness. That while the king was away, despite uncertainty of his return, despite what obviously would have been some years of persecution and hardship, they chose to invest, represent their king, represent and start building the kingdom in the hope of their master's return. You see, in God's kingdom, productivity isn't the measure of success. Faithfulness is. And more than anything else, God asks us, his people, to be faithful, to trust in him, to wait in him, to believe in him, regardless of life's circumstances, regardless of our past experiences or our present situation, in spite of the fear we may face, the worry we may own, or the doubt we may succumb to, God asks us to have faith and to act faithfully. These first two servants are clear examples of this. They're praised for their faithfulness. And it's faithfulness, not just in being good stewards of some money, it's their faithfulness over a period of time, in a time of uncertainty and doubt. They still chose to represent the nobleman who is now king, even though he was away and there was no guarantee of his return except their belief in his return. They were faithful and they were praised for it. You know, faithful living isn't always easy, right? Sure, there are times when it's easy to live by faith and to do the right thing. But when the stakes are high, when the hurt is deep, when the uncertainty clouds everything in your life, will you choose faith? Will you choose to be faithful to God? God asks that we remain loyal and true even when our expectations aren't met. Even when our timelines are not met, our expectations need to change or they need to um our our faith needs to absorb those and continue to trust even in hardship okay so faithfulness is so key we can't miss that this isn't about dollars and cents this is about faithfulness this is about a choice to live with a belief in the face of hardship okay let's continue okay because this isn't the end there's always two sides to things there's always a antithesis here in the parables of jesus and so we're starting off uh, at verse 20 i guess we're talking but with the third servant okay so starting at verse 20 but the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said master i hid your money and kept it safe i was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest in it. Okay? Let's pause here again just for a second, okay? Because here we see if if the other two servants represented a, a faithful choice... This servant certainly represents an unfaithful choice. Not an irresponsible choice per se. He didn't lose the money. He didn't spend it on himself. It wasn't open rebellion here. Okay? He just, was ir- he, he just wasn't faithful with it. He didn't do what his master had wanted him to do. Okay? Now, um, verse 21 is really interesting, right? Um, where he says, um, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid 
because you are a hard man to deal with. Okay? I know that you harvest crops that you didn't plant and you just take things that aren't yours. Um, dude, you're not doing yourself any favors here. Right? This sounds like an insult, right? Right? I know you're a hard man. I know you're a, you, you come by things unjustly. Um, I, what scholars really think is happening here is actually, you know, this servant is actually trying to compliment the king. You see, a lot of kingdoms in those days, and even still today, a lot of power, a lot of kingdoms are established on just taking. Just straight power and authority overthrowing. And in those cultures, in those times, in certain circles, they are praised, right? If you just went in and you took over a people and you desolated and demolished and this is now mine, I claimed it, right? Warrior, conqueror, you know, I've taken what isn't mine by force, okay? But this is not the kingdom of God, is it? This is not how God's kingdom comes to us. And this servant, if he's trying to compliment his king, is insulting his king. And furthermore, he's proving his own words condemn him or his own understanding of the king condemns him. Because essentially what he's saying is, you don't know me and you don't know my kingdom. If that's what you think of me, if that's what you think my kingdom is going to be like and how it's going to be run then you don't know me, so you can't serve me. Okay? Um, The servant did not really know the heart of his master. The other servants are given responsibility, right? They're asked and given um, cities to govern in the kingdom. This guy is given nothing. He's being left with his own just distorted um, impressions of his king and the kingdom. Right? In uncertain times, this servant let fear take over. For him, there was too many questions, not enough answers. And instead of this driving him into a life of faith and a life of belief and a life of hope, it drove him into a life of immobility where all he could think of to do was play it safe and play it neutral and just bury what he'd been given and just hope for the best but not do anything about it. His life ended up with regret, I'm sure, in that moment, right? Well, I should have done at least done something, right? Remember, the nobleman says, if you thought me to be such a hard man, well, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? Then you could have at least gained some interest, okay? Now, that's not just, you know, a way of saying you could have at least gotten something from it. Again, it's not about the profit. Interesting thing to know is that in Jewish law, interest is illegal, You don't charge interest to a brother who you lend money to or a sister who you lend money to. That's not the way it works. It was against Jewish law to gain interest. But the nobleman is saying, if you thought I was a crook and a criminal, you could have at least invested my money like a crook and a criminal. I wouldn't have cared that I got interest illegally or against God's laws because I really am that, you know, if you thought I was that kind of a man... That shouldn't have been a big deal to you. You should have at least done something, at least be true to your beliefs. But you weren't even true to your beliefs. You just did nothing. Okay? So again, it's not about... This parable is not about um, the prophets. It's not about the money. It's about the heart of the servants. And the, the first servants 
knew the heart of their master, trusted the heart of their master, believed that his kingdom would come, and so they invested in it. They, they, they did business for the sake of it. This other servant did not know his master's heart, could not serve his master's kingdom, had a wrong view of who his master was and how his master was going to, to rule, and so he just buried his money and did not use it. Okay, last section, then we got to wrap up, okay? Because believe it or not, there's still another section here, okay? So verse 24, we're at verse 24. Then turning to the others standing nearby, we don't necessarily know who these others are, maybe the other servants. The king had said, remember he's a king now, not a nobleman, take the money from this servant who just buried it, give it to the one who has 10 pounds of silver. Uh, But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds, Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Gulp. Okay, nice, beautiful ending to the story, Jesus. Thanks for that. Okay. There's something else going on, right? Do we know the heart of Jesus? You know, do you see it reflected in that? Or is it, let's dig a little deeper, okay? Um, And I just want, I'll do this quickly in closing, okay? But um, here the king, uh, his orders um, from the misguided servant, he just buried them, right? And he says, take from him, give to the one who has the most. And people say, but that's unfair, He already has 10 pounds. Why does he need more? Why take from the poor guy who doesn't have anything and give it to the people who have more? And so that that phrase by Jesus where he says, yes, well, to those who use what they've been given well, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. What is Jesus meaning by this? And I think... I think where I've kind of come to is I think Jesus is really expressing the fact that Faithful living, faith, require, like breathing, requires intake and, and output, right? It has to be this continual thing of continuing to take in more. And the more you can take in by faith, the more faithful you can be in your living, okay? If you stop breathing in faith, you're going to start to struggle, Because like oxygen, you're going to run out and it's going to choke your faith. But if you can keep breathing in faith... You can keep living by faith. Okay, we've maybe felt this in our own lives. We see it in scripture. Okay, think of Peter and his faith when he walked on the water, right? He was walking on the water towards Jesus, but then he started to look around, fear, worry, uncertainty, doubt, crowded in. He stopped, to look, stopped looking at Jesus and breathing in the faith and the trust in who Jesus was and who was giving them the power to do it. And as soon as he did that, stopped breathing in that faith, he begins to sink. The Lord says to Peter, Oh, you have little faith, or your faith is becoming little. Don't let your faith become little. Keep trusting in me. Keep looking at me. Keep seeing my faithfulness, and we can move forward in faith. To carry on in faith, we have to feed our faith. We have to remind ourselves of God's nature, His character. His promises, His loving kindness, His trustworthiness. If we don't take time to build up our faith, faithful living will be more harder to live by. To those who use well what they've been given, more will be given to them. The more they breathe it out, the more opportunities they'll have to breathe it back in.
Okay? But let's look at verse 27 for a second, okay? Because this whole thing about, remember these enemies that we mentioned at the beginning, they chased the king down, said, we don't want you to be our king. Um, and they come back at the end of the story. And the king, the nobleman, has returned and he says, bring them to me, execute them here on the spot. And this is harsh. This is really harsh. But remember, a parable isn't supposed to leave everything so neatly tied up. It's supposed to convict. It's supposed to challenge. And this would have been a direct acknowledgement of, look, for those who don't act faithfully towards God, there is judgment coming. This is what they deserve, right? It's true. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's what sin gets us. Execute them right here, right now. That's what they deserve. But the end of Romans 6.23 says, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So this isn't the end of the parable. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, come bring them, execute them. But we don't know that they were executed. Essentially what it was is, this is what they deserve, this is what they'll get. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to seek forgiveness? Are you going to turn and come to the kingdom? Because if you do, the free gift of God is eternal life. But we can't forget what we deserve, right? We cannot forget what we deserve. Remember, they were complaining. Why why give from the guy who had so little to the one who had most? That's not fair. Well, newsflash, God's kingdom is not fair. It is far, far from fair, and we can't expect it to be fair. If it were fair, then what we deserve, we would get. That's fair. But God's kingdom is not fair. It's gracious, it's forgiving, it's loving, it's compassionate and understanding, it's slow to anger. This is the kingdom of God. This is the nature of the God in whom we serve. And as we've seen from this last servant and from the people who didn't want him to be their king, if you don't know the heart of the king, how can you trust the heart of the king? And if you can't trust the heart of the king, why would you be faithful to the heart of the king and his kingdom? But Jesus tells this parable to say, what are you expecting Everyone's wanting my kingdom to come now by some means of political force to overthrow the Romans and bring liberation for the Jewish people once again. But I have so much more in mind. My kingdom is coming. I will be king. But it's not coming in a time you expect. It's not coming in a way you expect. But will you be faithful to stick with me even in a few days' time when I'm hanging on a cross and they're going to put me in a tomb Is that it? Are you going to say, there is no kingdom of God. There is no licks, right? (laughs) There is no kingdom of God. I'm stopping. Why go any further? Or will you continue on in faith and know that in the future, the king will return? That in three days, the tomb will be empty. That one day, our king will come again to this earth to make everything right. You know, in this parable, there are ten servants given money. We only hear the response of three of them, right? The first two, faithful. The last one, unfaithful. What happened to the other seven? We don't know. This is the thing of a parable. Do you know what? You are the other seven. I am the other seven. We all are the other seven. What's our choice when we stand before the king when he returns and says, 
Show me how you've participated in my kingdom by faith. What will we have to show to the king? That's the challenge of this parable. And in closing today, I know I don't have any time left, but I'm going to do this really quickly. Four quick truths that we can take from this parable. Okay? One, we are asked to be an active participant in God's kingdom. Imagine this. You and I are asked to be a part of God's kingdom. The nobleman, before he left, gave money to his servants and said, go and invest this in my name. Start building my kingdom. Okay? This is a huge, this is generosity. This is trust. This is the nobleman, the king saying, I don't want to do this. This isn't just my kingdom. It's our kingdom. And and you have a part to play in this, right? God does not just want a kingdom full of ingesters. He wants a kingdom full of investors. He wants people to do life with him. This is the essence of relationship. God is not looking for a top-down um, dictatorship in his kingdom. He's looking for us to participate. And this is nothing new. When God created the world, put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, did he just say, there you go, I made you a great sandals resort. Enjoy your holiday. This is your life. Do nothing. Just enjoy it. Because I'm king, you're just the tourists here. No. He said, continue on in my creation. Rule over what I have made. Invent, create language. Give names to things. And most importantly, go forth and multiply. Continue the process. Be a part of my kingdom. Don't just ingest it. You're an investor. You're a part of my kingdom. That's amazing to me. I hope it's amazing to you. You are a part of God's kingdom. That's massive. Okay, I have to go on. Okay, let that sink in over Thanksgiving. You are a part of God's kingdom. Number two, spiritual success is measured by faithfulness, not productivity. I already touched on this one a little bit, okay? Um, we f- Sure, fear, worry, uncertainty, doubt. I'm not saying they shouldn't exist in your life. They will. They do, right? But they shouldn't reign in your life, right? When you live by faith, you have to be able to... We've, we've said it many times here before. If you forfeit the risk, you forfeit the miracle, Okay? Living by faith is going to require you in hard times, in any time, to kind of face something with faith and to step out and to trust in God. Okay? You don't need to feel fear failure, though. Oh, I'm, I think I'm going to mess this up. Right? I don't know. God can't use me. I'm just... That's what the other servant did. Responded because of fears, uncertainties, misconceptions, untruths, and lies about the kingdom and his kingdom, and even a king in his kingdom, even about himself. I'm probably going to mess up, but I I don't want to mess up. I'll just bury it. Okay? Don't fear failure in the kingdom of God. Success is not measured by your productivity, it's measured by your faithfulness. Do something. That's what we're called to do. Do something. Be faithful to that. Okay, thirdly, We must know the heart of Jesus to effectively serve the kingdom. Again, I kind of alluded to this, okay? You look at Jesus as, as after this parable, right, goes uh, the Passover, the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers come, they arrest Jesus, and here's Peter. We already talked about him once, but here's Peter again. And and as the soldiers come, he's like, no way! This isn't going to happen. Draws a sword, lops off some soldier's ear, right? I'm going to fight this. We're going to fight for this kingdom God's going to establish, and that sword's drawn, Jesus stops him, says, Peter, no, this is not my heart. 
This is not my way. He places the ear back on the soldier's um, head and, and he's healed. He says, it's not my heart, Peter. This is not my way. This is not how we're going to do it. Remember when the kids came to Jesus and they wanted his time and the disciples were all like, Jesus doesn't have time for you. He's so busy and he's so tired. You don't know what he's been doing the last few days. Children, stay away. And Jesus stops them. He says, no, don't do that. That's not my heart. That's not my way. Let them come. Let all come to me who want to. Okay? Many people have done things in the name of Jesus Christ in our world. Unfortunately, many of them not good. Because they were not done with the heart of Jesus Christ. And if we want to serve Christ and his kingdom, if we want to build the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, we have to know the heart of Jesus and we have to live by faith out of that heart. We must know the heart of Jesus to effectively serve the kingdom of God. Okay, and lastly, amen to this, God's kingdom is coming and is already here. Okay? Um, this is a bit the, the paradox. In, in theology, we kind of call it the already not yet um, of God's revelation. Um, we know God's going to come again. We know one day everything is going to be made right. That day is not yet here, okay? The return of, the ultimate return of Christ, okay? But God's kingdom is still here. We are his people. His spirit is with us, in us, in his church, Universal church around the world, people serving, investing, building in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And one day, right now we know in part, but then we will know fully. Right now we struggle through fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and hardship, and challenges. One day we'll be free and rid of all that, but today is not that day. But we still know that the kingdom of God is coming And in many ways, it's already here. We have a lot to be thankful for this Thanksgiving weekend. Calamity, disease, mistakes, they come to us still today in ways that we cannot control, in ways that we cannot do anything about. But there is one thing we can always do. We can always live faithfully and trust in the faithfulness of God. His kingdom is here. His kingdom is coming. His kingdom is unstoppable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the truth that you reveal to us in many ways. Thank you for the truth that you have reminded us of this morning through this parable. That your kingdom is unstoppable. And while the truth is, is that maybe it comes in ways that we don't expect. Maybe it comes in a timing that we're not anticipating. But the truth of the matter is, is that your kingdom does come in our lives. You do reign in our lives and in our world. You are the king of an unstoppable kingdom. And we're so thrilled that we get to be a part of it. This weekend, the days ahead of us, I pray that you would call us, your people, deeper into faith. I pray that somehow we'd be able to take a fresh look at who you are, that we would be able to see more clearly the heart of Jesus through your scriptures in our own lives because once we can breathe in that understanding and that faith we'll be stronger to breathe it out into the world around us help us not to just come and and ingest your kingdom on sunday mornings or throughout every day of the week help us not just to ask the question what is in it for me because that's only half of it yes we get lots 
out of coming to you in faith. We receive so much. We receive everything. But that's only half of what you have for us. If that's what we're asking, that's all we're going to get. But if we can learn to say, what is my part that I can play in this? Where is the part that I can play in this kingdom? Where can I invest? We will get so much more out of faith. We will get so much more out of your kingdom because we will be serving you by faith. So challenge us in these things this day and the days to come. May we be found faithful as you, God, are faithful. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.